The question I want to raise and then try to answer from Romans 15, 8 through 9 is what is the ultimate goal of God for the nations, for us Gentiles or for the Jews? And how, um, how do we go about answering that in a particular text by attending to little grammatical words or phrases that reveal big God realities. That's, that's what I want us to see, how little grammatical words or phrases reveal big God realities. So here we are in 15, Romans 15, 8 and 9, for I tell you, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is, to Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And, and here's where we Gentiles come into the picture, and in order that the Gentiles, non-Jews, might glorify God for his mercy. So, Father, as we look at the, the grammatical indicators that you've put in this text to show us the biggest things in the universe, open our eyes to see them and to trace them up from their littleness into your bigness the way we should, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I, I go through it again, let me just give you the preceding context so that you can get the feel of what he's doing, because it does begin with the word for, and anytime we see that, it's good to look what he's arguing for. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that, here's the goal of the harmony, Live in such harmony that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. So the aim of the harmony, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, <coughs> welcome one another. So not just live in harmony and unity, but now express that by welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So you live in harmony with one another for the glory of God, and you welcome one another for the glory of God because, and that's where we are now, I tell you that Christ became a servant. So Christ entered the world as a servant to the Jewish people. I have come to call Jewish people. I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Jesus said. I came as a servant to the circumcised after 2,000 years of promises in order to show by my coming and my action God's truthfulness in order specifically now that the promises of God might be confirmed, which were given to the Jewish 
patriarchs. So to show or on behalf of, literally on behalf of God's truthfulness in order to confirm promises. So the first purpose of the coming of Christ is to demonstrate and validate and confirm the truthfulness of God and therefore the promises of God. And he's not just concerned with Jewish purposes or Jewish people in the purposes of his coming, but now with the nations and with Gentiles. And in order that in order that the purpose that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So we have uh, the purpose of confirming and uh, validating God's, God's truth, truthfulness. He tells the truth. He never breaks his word and thus uh, confirm promises, and that Gentiles are to uh, experience the mercy of God and thus glorify God for it. So those are the four things here. Let's just focus on the Gentiles. Um... I remember arguing with students in seminary and from other seminaries who had to write papers on the the ultimate purposes of God. And they would often say to me, I think the ultimate purpose of God is to show his love and his mercy, his mercy towards human beings. In other words, God's love is the ultimate point of the Bible. And and I would say but what about the grammatical connection between the glory of God and the mercy of God in Romans 15:9? Because wouldn't you agree that what he's up to here is saying that God's purpose in coming in Christ is that the Gentiles would, yes, by all means, experience mercy, since we don't have a covenant to lay hold on before the new covenant, whereas like the Jews did. It's sheer mercy that God would make a covenant with us, and the goal is that we would glorify God. So God's glory is above. So you got the glory of God here, and as a means to it, experiencing mercy of God. And so it seems wrong to me to get those reversed and put mercy as the ultimate goal here and God in his glory as as supporting or secondary. It's, it's the other way around. So I think the grammatical, the little grammatical relations here glorify God for his mercy shows that mercy the experience of mercy is intended by God to lead us to something higher, namely the final outcome of glorifying God. Now, you should stop there and think, think, think about 
this. Would it not be right to say, well, why would God do that? If God wants to show mercy to the, the nations, which these Old Testament quotes go on to say that he's going to quote, why would he make it terminate on himself as glorious? So he's the ultimate end, and mercy to us is a means to that end. And my answer is that for mercy to have its fullest effect as mercy, God must uh, show us that God and not ourselves is the end point of all things, and in doing so, he is acting even more mercifully. <laughs> you can maybe draw it like this. So God, God shows mercy to us and forgives our sins and draws us into fellowship with himself in order that we might uh, praise him and glorify God because of this mercy, so that God is the goal. And yet, if it's true that we are made for God and not made for ourselves and not made for uh, the, the beautiful image in the mirror, but are made for the Grand Canyon of God's glory, then this is a mercy. This is being shown more mercy. That's my final answer. That in being treated with mercy, God means for us to recognize him as a merciful and beautiful and glorious God and spend all of our eternity seeing him and savoring him and making much of him. And in doing that, because of the very way we are wired, experience more mercy because we find our greatest fulfillment and satisfaction in seeing greatness, not being great.